Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining us. I am W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, books one through nine. Yes, my friends. Volume 9 is now out at Amazon in paperback and ebook. And for you audiophiles, you can receive volumes 1 through 8 at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. And don't forget my latest work How to Make Money God's Universal Laws for Wealth and Prosperity. An interesting read indeed. Well, my friends, it's good to be back in the driver's seat again. We took a little break. Kevin went up north. We'll hear a little bit about that from him. And let me introduce you now to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm all refreshed after two weeks out in the woods, (laughs) hiking around. (laughs) You, You didn't have any problem finding toilet paper in the woods, did you? No, I didn't get eaten by Bigfoot either. (laughs) But I was carrying more gun than I thought I might need. (laughs) That a boy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, I'd like to thank the people that just wrote in briefly to ask us if everything was okay. Uh, But apparently you missed (laughs) what we said earlier that we were going to take a little break. But still, it's... It's heartwarming to hear uh, people ask. It's great. It's great. I got messages, too, Bill, saying, uh, is everything okay? You know, we missed you guys. And so everything's great. We just took a little break. And it was a small break, too, one week. (laughs) We missed one week of an episode. And we planned on missing it. You know, we apologize if there was confusion. Yeah, yeah. Kev, you know, just as a point of interest, uh, because I know you spoke highly of this place, uh, why don't you tell uh, uh, the listeners about that uh, museum? Let's give a little plug to the museum. Uh, oh, I was going to do that in the next episode, Bill. So, Oh, you I'm were? Gonna, okay. Yeah, I am. I'm going to do it in the next one. So I did stop in at a museum up in uh, Maine that our friend Eric, uh, the fisherman builder, uh, told me about. But I'm going to talk about that in the next episode. So it's a super cryptid museum. So that'll be the cliffhanger for you. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, did, cool. you, I'm gonna, did you run across anything up there or nothing uh, to speak of? 
You know, we didn't see, uh, of course, we didn't see any Bigfoot. Otherwise, I would have launched into that. Um, we did see some animals, you know, some, uh, we didn't see a bear. Um, we saw signs of moose, but we didn't see a moose. A um, lot of smaller game type stuff, a lot of deer. And uh, one of the things was, Bill, that it was so busy. You know, like, I think post-pandemic, a lot of folks are getting out and took advantage of this summer uh-huh. to get out and do some hiking, which I think is great, by the way. Yeah. But I also think it probably scared away a lot of the wildlife. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Now, you say you saw a lot of animals. You're talking about New Yorkers? <laughs> <laughs> we did see a few of those. <laughs> Trying to elbow me out of the way. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you know they're New York? It's what they try to trip you and take your wallet. They might have been complaining <laughs> about the sidearms. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> oh yeah. So, so it's like you probably live next door to my brother. I'll cut you some slack. <laughs> I love that stuff, man, you know. And, you know, last week, Kev, as you know, I had something going on in the family. And I spent uh, five days uh, in Upper Manhattan uh, schlepping in and out of the city, the traffic. I mean, folks, like, you know, I know you know I'm from New York and my brother is from New York, but I have nothing to do with the city. It's... It was a two-hour schlep in and a two-hour schlep out. And I tell you, Kev, every time I go in there, uh, it reinforces in me all the reasons why I don't want to be there. <laughs> you did see some animals, though, I bet. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of animals in there, including one guy hanging over the guardrail with his butt sticking out. Yeah, yeah, folks, my brother and I, I was going across Manhattan on the way home, and I just by chance, I ended up being, what, Bill, about an hour ahead of you uh, in the traffic, maybe a half an hour. And uh, so I was giving Bill traffic updates on what to expect, and right after we went through the Midtown Tunnel onto the island of Manhattan, there was a guy, like, passed out with his butt sticking out, leaning <laughs> over the guardrail while we're sitting there in traffic. And I don't think I told you about him, but you you pinged me later and said, did you see the guy? Yeah. You know, yeah. I was like, yeah, we did. Yeah, we he did looked like Rip Van Winkle on freaking crack. <laughs> I was going to say, he was definitely a crackhead. Yeah, he was a crackhead was, exposing his crack. Well, yeah, there's a few of those around. So it was, fu- it was funny, folks. Uh I'm sitting in traffic, and I realize something happened up ahead. It was in an inordinate amount of traffic, and I figured, here we go. It's an accident. With that, my phone rings, and I see it's my brother. And Kevin says to me, hey, Bill, where are you right now? I says, ah, Kev, I'm sitting in traffic at exit 21 on 495. And he says, I'm two exits ahead of you. He says to me, uh, there's an accident up here, and they've got two lanes blocked off. And I'm like, oh, man, you know. So I 
I don't know how long it took to get through that, Kev. I must have been sitting there for an extra hour to go two exits. That's what I was going to say. Two exits, and you were an hour behind me. That yeah. makes sense. Oh, my God. And Only then, in New York. Then Kevin says to me, oh, they're clearing out one of the two lanes now, so now there's two lanes open. And uh, a, a while later, I made it through, and we were still on the phone. Kevin was now in Midtown or something as I was entering the tunnel and about to uh, hang up with him. And yeah. uh, that was our escapade in the land of animals. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, Bill, I mean, I did. I had quite the trip, folks. We did an old-fashioned road trip. We went up uh, through Virginia, from from North Carolina through Virginia, and not on I-95, but kind of up the back way through the woods of Virginia and uh, up into uh, Pennsylvania or Maryland and then Pennsylvania and then up into uh, New York, upstate New York, over into Vermont, uh, over into New Hampshire and over into Maine and then down through Massachusetts, Rhode Island, went out to Long Island, uh, the old stomping grounds, and then went home from there. So it was a, a big circular route, spent a lot of time hiking around in the woods and uh, a, a little bit of time going to check out a few places. I went up to Lake Champlain, which I love Lake Champlain. But I went up to uh, Burlington, Vermont, great college town there, right on the lake. And uh, I didn't see any sign of Champ, the <laughs> sea monster, except for a uh, big graphic of him and a few statues and stuff like that of him. I took a picture of myself in front of the big graphic on a building and sent it to Bill just to tell him, this isn't real, by the way. <laughs> But one of, one of the cool things was we were heading up in upstate New York, cruising along, and I saw the sign for Whitehall, New York. Yeah. And I was like, you know, one of my favorite um, stories that we covered. And, Bill, I looked it up. It goes all the way back to episode 17. Yeah. So this episode is 112, and it seems like it was yesterday we did that Whitehall, New York. New York episode. Uh-huh. Um, but I saw that coming up on the map about an hour away, and I told my bride, I said, we have to stop in Whitehall, New York. <laughs> and it was pretty cool. It was on a Sunday evening when we hit Whitehall, and it was about 6 p.m. But, you know, I mean, the sun didn't set up there probably till around 8.30 when we were there. So plenty of daylight left. Very quiet little town. Beautiful little town. Right on the border of Maine. Uh, not Maine. Of Vermont. Mm -hmm. Right along that river there that forms the border with Vermont. Um, not many people around, though. So mm -hmm. very quiet place. Uh, even on Sunday at dinner time, Or maybe it was because it was Sunday and dinner time, But super quiet. And then we rode uh, through uh, Abair Road, where the uh, encounter talked about, which I'll review a little bit here. Definitely not hard to believe that there was uh, uh, several Bigfoot sightings in this area. And then, very interestingly, we went from Whitehall up uh, 22 North and 22A North to Burlington, Vermont, which is about maybe two hours, including stopping a few times to drive off of the main road there. If you call it a main road, it's just a two-lane road um, to take some pictures and look for the hairy man and stuff like that. And, Bill, man, we would ride for like a half an hour and not see another car or person. 
Yeah. So that was surprising to me, you know, because I I think of uh, you know upstate New York as not being that rural, mm-hmm. but it was super rural. Yeah. And just not that many houses at all. And we're riding along this 22A going north, and uh, it was a really cool evening because it was when the forest fires were going crazy out in the Pacific Northwest. So it had that kind of orange sky kind of obscuring the sun, you know, even though it was still daytime. You couldn't really see the sun. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'd look out into the woods and these uh, fields heading into the woods, and you really could imagine that there was a hairy man walking along there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, by the way, you mentioned there's a river there. Folks, yeah. Folks, if you want to have a shot at seeing a Bigfoot, you got to be near some kind of water. Because you any- need to be near the water. And that's, co- that's called the Pulteney River, uh-huh. um, which I think makes the border between New York and Vermont. Wow. And, you know, by the way, folks, our listeners out in the Pacific Northwest, our hearts go out to you with the, the fires. But as uh-huh. crazy as it is, folks... We're getting your smoke on the East Coast. Yeah. That's that's just incredible to me, the volume of smoke. And that we were getting the orange moon at night, Kev, over here. Did yeah. you notice that? Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. The moon turned orange, and the uh, meteorologist said that it was from the smoke of the wildfires. Well, I can tell you, the first day we were coming into the White Mountains in New Hampshire, you know, Bill, remember up by like Cannon Mountain and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. North of Franconia Notch. You couldn't see any of the mountains. That's incredible. I was like, what the heck? I'm going to be up here, you know, with my my good camera, video camera. I'm not going to be able to see a mountain. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, the next day, the jet stream shifted to the south, mm. and it blew everything out for, for northern New Hampshire, at least. So wow, That's incredible. That was cool. Yeah. So interesting, yeah. though, riding through Whitehall, this little dot on the map, uh, another one of those towns where really, probably, if you hadn't seen the sign, you wouldn't have known you were in Whitehall. And this is where... No, and I had to double-check that it was the same place. You know, oh, like, yeah. as it said, like, Whitehall, 70 miles or something. And I was like, oh, I got to look this up. It's yeah. the same Whitehall. And yeah. Sure enough. And, you know, this sighting, you know, we, we covered it in episode 17, way back when. But, um, you know, this goes back to the night of August 24th in 1976. Mm-hmm. And these three teenagers were out in the field... Uh, on this Abair Road just outside of the town of Whitehall. And uh, they saw this large human-like form, but hairy, standing on the side of the road. And they turned around uh, to get a better look at it, went up pretty close to it, and the thing started, like, squealing and screaming and howling at them. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. No. No. Oh, and again, this is one of my favorite accounts because these kids, they get scared and they take off and they talk about the fact that they're burning rubber on their car and they fly into town. And sure enough, in Whitehall on the way into town, there's a police officer there who has a speed trap set up. So they come flying in whatever speed they're doing. And a police officer by the name of Brian Gosling 
pulls them over for speeding, and they tell them, you know, they're all shaken up, and they tell them about this monster that they saw out on Abair Road. Hmm. And, uh, of course, you know, kids get caught speeding. They tell them they're speeding because they saw a monster. Any good law enforcement officer is going to be a little skeptical of that. But somehow they convince him that they're telling the truth. And um, he calls a state trooper friend of his. He's a local police officer. And he tells them about the story. And they agree to meet out there, each in their own uh, law enforcement car. And they go out to this field there uh, along the road where they where the kids saw this creature. And they're sitting there and uh, talking on the radio to one another. And all of a sudden, the trooper is like, um, what the? And he's like, I'm getting the heck out of here. It takes off. Huh. And yeah, and Officer Gosling is like, what the heck? What do you mean you're taking off? And he gets out of his car and it's dark and he can't see anything, but he hears this like swishing sound pretty close by, but he can't see anything, you know? Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, and this is 19, yeah, picture, get this, Bill. It's 1976, so yeah. he's got one of those handheld spotlights that we used to have, right? You, yep. You pull it out of the car in your hand, he turns it on, and right there in front of his police cruiser is a Bigfoot. Yeah, unbelievable. Looking right at him. Oh, my God, what a, I mean, I, I always, you know, when people talk about Bigfoot encounters, Try to put yourselves in their shoes for a minute uh, before you start blathering about what they should do or could do. I, I can't even imagine this police officer standing in close range in the dark in Whitehall out in the woods uh, with this light illuminating a freaking giant Bigfoot. Right. Right there. Yeah. And the sighting lasted three or four minutes. Wow. So it wasn't like five seconds or something. And he's shining the light on this thing, and it's covering up his eyes and starts groaning at him. Hmm. Wild, yeah. right? Yeah, and standard firearm back then, I think, was a thirty-eight special for the cops. Yeah, I don't know. I Not don't, enough. Yeah, I don't think that's going <laughs> to do much against that monster. You need a fifty caliber eagle. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> With a special load you packed at home. <laughs> you need to be like Jesse the Body in Ventura in Predator. When he pulled, he was hand holding that thirty cal machine gun, rattling it off or whatever the heck he had. And the other guy, I think, was it Schwarzenegger, was pumping a rocket launcher into the woods at the same time? <laughs> you can always count on Arnold to have the rocket <laughs> launcher. Something. It was like nuts. And then two minutes later, the Predator killed Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> yeah, the Predator was, uh, that was quite the cryptic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. But, but you know, this, uh, this scene, this is... Uh, where the classic line that I've probably repeated 10 to 20 times on all of our podcasts is where, you know, this officer Gosling says, um, here this whole time I've been told that this thing doesn't exist and I'm staring at it and it's like 10 feet away. Yeah. Which is fantastic. So, so Bigfoot, the hairy man, runs away from him as he's shining a light on him. He comments in the documentation about how huge the strides were. So this was 
a large hairy man as they they go uh-huh. and uh, steps right over a fence that's four feet tall uh, without mm-hmm. missing a beat. And uh, so uh, Officer Gosling goes back to town and he stops in the diner there, you know, where they would hang out and meet up. And uh, the trooper's there and he's like, man, what the heck? Where'd you go? And he's like, dude, I saw that thing. And he's like, all right, we got to tell people about this. And the trooper said, I want nothing to do with it. He said, as far as anyone else knows, I didn't see anything. I'm not going to lose my job over telling people we saw a Bigfoot, even though I did see a Bigfoot. Yeah, and that's the way it goes, right, Kev? We hear it all the time, Bill. How many people do not want it known, even Bigfoot enthusiasts that write into us and contact us, say, I don't want you to, you know, this is for your information only. Yep, yep. (coughs) It's amazing, you know. And Officer Gosling, too, the other thing he talked about was that when it let out this howl, um, when he was shining the light on it, he said it was like much louder than like a tuba. And he commented on what the lung capacity that this monster must have to make a sound that loud and that long, which I yep. thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, like the old saying, right? Uh, he or she has some pipes, you know? Yeah. When they used to and talk he about, talked it. about it as being eight feet tall, dark red, almost black. Very muscular, and he said that the hair on the back of it was thinner and that it basically, you know, had a head that was planted on its shoulders with basically no neck, no neck. Yeah, incredible. Which is, you know, we've heard that before, right? Yeah, and how many times uh, do people say it turned at me, but it had to turn its whole upper body to look? Exactly. You know, they didn't. And then, you know, the the trooper asked him, Officer Gosling, like, why didn't you shoot it? And uh, he said, uh, you know, I didn't feel threatened at any point in time. Might have also been that he was carrying that thirty-eight special. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I doubt Bullets that. Might have, bounced, might have bounced off of the hairy man. You know, I think, <laughs> I think, and I, I say this from my own experience in different ways with UFOs and angels, uh, there's an element of just sheer freak out when things like that happen to you. You're not normal. Uh, things are not the way they ordinarily are with you. You're not necessarily acting or moving or thinking in a rational, quote, normal way. It's like yeah. things change for you in a moment. You don't understand it. You really don't have time to quantify it, and then the event is over, and you're standing there like, you know, wow, what the heck just happened? Now, Bill, and I had the thought multiple times, really, mostly when we were up there in Whitehall and north of Whitehall, um, believe it or not, like riding along the roads there, I felt more likely when I was there, like I wouldn't have predicted this, but when I was there, I felt like we were going to see something, even more so than hiking around in the woods in northern New Hampshire and northern Maine. Wow. Like, it just felt like it. And I was saying to myself, like, wow, how much is my life going to change? And and in what way is my life going to change if we actually see the hairy man? Yeah, well. <laughs> you know, wild. Keep your eyes open because I think it's oh, going to no happen. Doubt. 
No doubt. And, you know, just to give a good shout out to Brian Gosling, Officer Gosling, that, uh, you know, gave this account. He wrote a book about the incident called Abair Road, The True Story. Mm -hmm. So, uh, folks, if if you're interested more in this, and certainly if anybody up in Whitehall has more information on this or other sightings, because there's been many sightings up there, um, let, let us know. Yeah, I tell you, Kev, too, and it's good to re-up uh, some of these accounts because even for me, uh, I like to hear these stories again uh, and again periodically. Uh, similar to like, you know, just hearing the, the night before Christmas poem during the season or something like that, you know. It's just worthwhile to kind of re-up the data in your mind, uh, some of the historicity behind uh, Bigfoot and these other cryptids that we talk about. I just think it's really cool. Well, yeah, and I, I try to cast a little more light on it as best as I can. But, you know, when I was there, Bill, you know, because some of these towns, I'm going to be blunt, when they say it's the hotbed of Bigfoot sightings and they have a museum and stuff like that, you know, some of them, the skeptic in me is like, well, you know, you're just trying to make commercial success out of something here. But when I was up there in Whitehall, I was like, okay, this is definitely a place where the hairy man could be. Yeah, you kind of get a feel for it, right? It's got like a a vibe. Yeah, you get a feel for it. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I always say to honor that, just like that same feeling that you're being watched that we talk about over and over again. Yep. There's uh, much more to that than most people, I believe, even consider. Yeah. But... You know, a lot of people would ignore it or just brush it off, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Really interesting. Whitehall, New York, one of the most famous Bigfoot encounters, in my opinion. Uh, I agree. uh, And again, yeah, it did involve a police officer, but it was the way it fell out uh, with the kids and uh, the the, the cop kind of getting a hunch that maybe they're telling me the truth here. I better check this out, you know, and calling the other guy in and going over the the way the whole thing fell out over a period of time. Very credible, Bill. Very credible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Much much different than the lady coming out of the gym and seeing the Bigfoot walking on the parking lot, you know? Right. Unbelievable. And by the way, you know, not likely that it's somebody in a gorilla suit sneaking up on a police officer who's getting a spotlight out to shine it on him. Yeah. You know, and unless on, they were trying on, to commit on suicide. a gun. Exactly. Unless you, know. you want to commit suicide. Not a yeah, good well, idea. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, obviously a, a beast like that has no awareness of who or, who or what a police officer is or, or what their assignment is, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. He's not afraid of you taking him into the hooskow. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Awesome, Bill. So what do you got for us Well, I now got... that we're fresh back and on our horses again? Yeah, yeah. Now, this is uh, not that they're all not real interesting, but this is a, a yet another very interesting uh, account that was brought to my attention by... Tommy Nelson and his wife, Charlotte. Uh, They're a couple who at the time of this sighting were residents in the state of South Carolina. 
And this is what they had to say about their encounter. It's pretty well detailed, which I also kind of uh, like. Uh, I must begin by telling you, Bill, that the absolute furthest thing from myself and my wife's minds at the time of this sighting was an encounter with Bigfoot. I don't believe we had even spoken about the term Bigfoot so much as once in the 17 years at the time that we had been together. I'm retired now, but in the late 90s when this whole thing went down, I was a regional director for a major retail franchise in the United States. My position was inclusive of making many moves around the states and overseeing the building and startup of new franchise locations. With that in mind, in 1998, we were living in South Carolina for a period of about 18 months. The two of us spent a fair amount of time hiking and renting canoes and boats wherever we found ourselves. We had no real long-term friendships, so for the most part, it was me and Charlotte doing whatever we needed to do to entertain ourselves and stay in shape. It was on my birthday that year, September 30th, that we were going back into the Congaree National Park to do some exploring and burn up some calories. The last time we were in the park, we had been canoeing on Cedar Creek. So for a change, we decided to take a good long hike to see what another area of the park had to offer. Congaree National Park has a very unique and diverse ecosystem. It's comprised of some 24,000 acres and is the largest old-growth bottomland hardwood forest in the country that remains. The park itself is also a floodplain, which means that the park is relatively drier or damp based on Mother Nature's activities as it relates to the Congaree River, which is south on the southern border of the park itself. As a result, there are many creeks and bogs, creating habitats for lots of nasty snakes, otters, lizards, and all kinds of other wildlife within and around the park's boundaries. Due to its diversity, the park often serves as a research site for the scientific community. Our itinerary that day was to hike the King Snake Oak Ridge River and the Western Lake Trails, which are all interconnected and would bring us back to where we had started from. So they had this plan to go on these, looks like three trails that kind of wove together and bring them back to the beginning where they went in. So Charlotte and I had made our way well past what I would call the halfway point in the hike. And we were making our way back to an area called the Gut, where eventually we would meet up with the Western Lake Trail. We were casually hiking along when my wife grabbed my, me by the arm and said, Tommy, look over there by that big tree. I just saw something. 
Now, the area she was pointing at consisted of bald cypress trees, some of which are quite massive in their girth. Many of them sit proud on the earth with a fair amount of root system exposed, making them even wider at their base. I said to her, which tree are you talking about? She pointed, saying, that one over there with the other big one right in front of it. Right there, honey. Looking into the woods, there were two exceptionally large cypress trees, with one being some 20 feet behind the other. From our perspective, they appeared to be side by side if you took your depth perception out of the equation. Between the two of them, they were consuming about seven feet of width in our field of view. My wife said to me, I saw something big duck behind that tree in the rear. We stood there very still for a few moments and then started to move forward a few steps to see if we could look behind them, so to speak. I think we had moved maybe five or six steps when this tremendous creature, which we now realized was a Bigfoot, darted out from behind the tree and ran into the surrounding forest and undergrowth. The entire episode was over from start to finish in a matter of seconds. The two of us nearly jumped out of our skin when this Bigfoot bolted out from behind the tree. The speed and ease with which it ran away from us was incredible. Neither one of us had seen its face. My wife later recounted that she had only seen its dark fur out of the corner of her eye when it was almost completely behind the cypress and had no idea that this was what would pop out. When it took off, there was virtually no sound that could be heard. In this area, the ground was probably moister than in some of the other areas of the park, but still it ran away like a whisper. It had to have covered some 75 yards or more before we lost sight of it. My wife and I walked over by the tree it had been standing behind. We could see some impressions in the ground, but nothing that I would venture to call a footprint. The ground and grass was simply crushed and matted down. There was a tiny, scraggly-looking branch hanging off from the side of the tree in front, which we were able to use as a gauge for its height. When it ran away, I could see all of its head just below that little branch. Having walked over to and now standing under the branch, I extended my arm straight up to try and touch it, but it was out of reach. At the time, I didn't know the distance between my hand and the branch. When we came home, I did the same thing in our apartment, reaching my hand towards the ceiling and using the distance between the two as a reference. Upon doing this, I realized that the Bigfoot was about nine feet tall or even better. I did mention that between the two trees, 
they were blocking about seven feet of our view width-wise, which was why we couldn't see the Bigfoot. When it had committed itself to fleeing, it was all of five to six feet wide at the shoulders and cut like a seasoned gymnast. That is incredible. So massive were its shoulder muscles that from the rear, we could only see what appeared to be the top of its head as it ran away. My wife and I had a long conversation after the sighting, which revolved around the old what-if scenario. We were both in total agreement that the way the Bigfoot had moved and ran with such stealth that if it wanted to, it could run up on you or anything else and snatch you before you even knew what hit you. My opinion is this because of the creature's enormous weight, coupled with the gigantic feet that it possesses. It simply compresses the crunch, if you will, out of whatever it steps on, thereby muffling the sound from our ears. I have no other explanation other than that, knowing that when my wife and I walked over by the same trees, we made noise and the Bigfoot didn't. The hair on it looked like it was dark, rusty brown kind of color, with some threads of gray mixed in. Having said that, nothing about its movements indicated this was by any means an old man, so to speak. It was extremely agile and fast as it made its exit. We weren't afraid other than when it first made its move. I don't think that I would say the same if the move it made had been in our direction. That would have been an entirely different story and quite probably one that I may not be alive to tell had it occurred. I must tell you at this point in time that I was in a state of shock. I continued to survey the inside and now took note and now took note of the fact that there were some large footprints. Oh, I'm sorry. I finished the story, Kevin. I started to go on to a different page. Don't do that. Yeah, so that would. But I love the fact how he described it as if uh, it would have turned to come after them, it would be a different story, and I probably would not be writing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, like the last line we really. We can appreciate was, that. Yeah, the yeah. last line was that that would have been an entirely different story exactly. and probably one I may not be alive to tell. Exactly. That's freaking nuts. 100%. How about the guy's observation? I See, this is the details, right? The details. He observed that when the creature left, it was like in stealth mode. He heard nothing. And yeah. he, he thought that probably because of the gigantic feet and the massive weight of this thing, that it would just compress things to the point of almost not making any noise. And But when he and his wife went over there, they made some noise. 
So it's just an interesting observation, you know. It is, it is, Bill. And I was going to bring it up, too. I'll bring it up now. Like, after doing all of these uh, podcast episodes and looking into all these sightings and all the cryptids and other oddities in the news, while we were out hiking for two weeks, I was really conscious of the sounds in the forest. And there were some times, which I never noticed before, where there was not a sound. But I wasn't on alert. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of... And there were other times where I was definitely on alert. Hmm. So it's like, just because it's quiet, it doesn't mean there's something wrong. But there are times when it's quiet and that sixth sense you have, whatever you want to call it, starts to tell you something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. No, it's very interesting, you know, and... uh I don't know. This is a a really mind-blowing enigma, the Bigfoot creature. And it's not going away. It's not going away. And there's just so much rural land out there. Again, folks, when I went up to Whitehall, like I've been to, as you folks know, I've been to some really rural, rural places where I know a creature could exist that we don't know about. And then at Whitehall, I didn't expect that. And I was like, wow, like, this is really rural up here. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not seeing any people. I'm not seeing any cars. Yeah. You know, even while the sun's still up, again, on a weekend. And it would stand to reason, right, Kev, that the people who live or plant themselves in that situation would be the ones who would have the opportunity to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not 100%. some. It's not some city slicker like me. You know what I'm saying? Passing through, just passing through. You don't mind if I do 120 in my Mustang GT, do you? <laughs> Those open headers will scare away the hairy <laughs> man. By the way, turbocharged four speed with no exhaust system. <laughs> <laughs> That's another incredible story, though, Kev, man. These people just keep coming. It's awesome, man. I I love that story. I also love the description. Nine feet tall, five or six feet wide at the shoulders, and cut like a gymnast. Great description. Yeah, and this guy had the wherewithal just in the moment to notice that the creature's head, as a measuring point in front of it, was just below a branch that was sticking out. Yeah. And We've f- heard that before, too. You right. know, and then you go back and see what it looks like. Right. When you walk up yeah. on it, it's like... And he said, he said the whole event lasted seconds. And yet mm-hmm. he ended with saying he believed they were looking at it in one degree or another for 75 yards. Wow. I mean, picture bolting in the woods or in this area, 75 yards in seconds. Wow. Yeah. I mean, a fast runner in the football camps is like, what, low fours in the 40? Yeah. Four, 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 five. I mean, it's big, this Bigfoot went 75 yards in seconds. Yeah. It's just big stride, big muscles. Yeah, just moving out, man. Yeah. So, what do we got, my brother, in our 
mailbox. We got today. some great letters in our mailbox. We'll cover a few of them. So the first one comes in from Caroline, who's in Kansas, and I put at least when she wrote this letter, which you'll get <laughs> after you after you hear the letter. Okay. So first off, I love the way Caroline opens it. Longtime listener, first time commenter. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of talk radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, She says, I can't quite say I'm a believer, but I'm a lifelong cryptid enthusiast to the point that when I was 12 years old, get this, Bill, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. I convinced my friends that we should make a movie about Bigfoot attacking a campground and kidnapping a bunch of Boy Scouts. (laughs) It's awesome. A bunch. And she says, I successfully talked my dad, and she puts in parentheses, who is KJ, a fellow Kevin, uh-huh. into renting a gorilla suit from a local costume store to play Bigfoot in this extremely amateur VHS production. And she says, the footage of which has since been lost to the sands of time. Ah. I know, but she says it was about 85 degrees out that day, and he was running around in 100% humidity in that fursuit. Let's just say it's been 25 years, and that alone is enough for him to get a phone call from me for every Father's Day. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome, Caroline. (laughs) Oh, man. And Caroline says, I'm pretty much a full-time nomad, having been living in New York City when COVID hit and nothing was happening. And frankly, I just got bored, so I got in my Jeep and started driving. As I write this, I'm in downtown Topeka, Kansas. And she says, yeah, your podcast has been my go-to for long drives on what are now two cross-country trips, and it certainly keeps me entertained. My road trip companion is a black cat named Minerva. She's not named after the Minerva monster, as you covered in one of your episodes last year. But given that she has the ego on par with most cats, she probably thinks the Minerva monster is named after her. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's awesome. Yeah, and she said, we're both big fans of your of your episode about big cats in the UK. And we wonder if you read a book called Shadow Cats, The Black Panthers of North America by Michael Mays. That's about the sightings of large black cats right here in the U.S. of A. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really worth a read because it takes a solid skeptical eye towards the question of why so many people keep seeing big black cats. So mm-hmm. I haven't read it, Caroline, but I have heard about the shadow cats in North America. Mm-hmm. And then she says, on a final note, my day job is in the advertising industry. It's been fascinating as someone uh, in that world to see how over the past few years, Bigfoot has really gained a big foothold Unintended, she says, Mm -hmm. in pop culture in a way that you just didn't see 10 years ago. Many craft breweries all over the country have Bigfoot and Yeti-themed beers. I can vouch for that, Caroline. I see them, too. 
And then she mentions that the pro soccer team from Appalachian Football Club in Boone, North Carolina, Mm. up in Bigfoot country, even claims that Bigfoot is their chief marketing officer (laughs) and quotes him in their press releases. That's awesome. (laughs) And then she says, speaking of North Carolina, KJ, if you ever head to the western part of your state, I highly recommend swinging through a town called Brevard near Asheville and grabbing a pint of beer at Sasquatch Bikes and Brews. And I have been there, Caroline. So, uh, <laughs> but somebody else wrote in and said that there's a new Bigfoot-themed microbrewery in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. Ooh. But I haven't been there yet, so i got to get out more, apparently, in my hometown. Yeah, it's a little... Or at least it, my town of residence. It's a little bit of a fetish going on with the uh, Bigfoot, you know? That's like, a lot of it. I mean, the one Bigfoot brewery, they have the famous, now famous sticker of the, it's a brown round sticker. I'm sure some of our listeners say it says Bigfoot and it says, I believe. Yeah. And Bill, I told you about that when I was riding my snowboard. I have one of the stickers on my snowboard and I was out in Utah mm-hmm. and the guy said, do you believe when I was on the <laughs> chairlift with him? <laughs> Yeah, I believe. Now get off of my uh, chair. Now get off of my chair, left. <laughs> I might just be wearing a human suit today. <laughs> That's incredible. So, yeah, thank you, Caroline. And hello, Minerva. And as far as I'm concerned, you are named after the Minerva monster. <laughs> Fantastic cryptid. <laughs> That's excellent. How about Caroline? Huh? She's in... Living in New York City, COVID hits, everything's going down the toilet, and she just gets in her Jeep and splits. Just get the heck out. A lot of people have done it, Bill. I uh-huh. mean, it's, uh, they just, they know that they can work virtually, like she's in advertising, right? Marketing, advertising. And uh, you can do it from anywhere as long as you have broadband. Why am I paying this big rent to live here and putting up with the guy's butt leaning over the guardrail? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That we talked about earlier. Why not just like go out and explore? I think it's super cool. Yeah, I told you that nurse uh, I spoke to was living in an area, not a bad area, right upper Midtown. She yeah. was sh- she was sharing an apartment that, as she said, was nothing to speak of. Thirty one hundred bucks. Yeah. I mean, some of our listeners, where they're li- living and whatnot, would say they paid thirty one hundred dollars for an apartment that was a nothing month. to speak yeah, of. Plus extra income tax because of city tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a tough place to live. Yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know. Wow. So what All else? Right, Who else we got? And here? our last letter that we'll cover this week comes in from our friend Daryl in hey, northern Darryl. Idaho. Okay. And Daryl is our BRFO friend and a recently retired detective from northern Idaho. Mm -hmm. And uh, he writes in about episode 111 that involved Tommy Nelson having his moose kill stolen by a Sasquatch in the Clearwater River area. Mm -hmm. And uh, he writes, you requested anyone familiar with the area to write in. Although my normal elk hunting area is north of Clearwater in the St. Joe National Forest, I've been to Clearwater many times. I can verify that the Clearwater is a vast, heavily timbered and mountainous area. I can't imagine a better habitat for Sasquatch. 
and I've spoken to people who have had encounters in that region. My own son-in-law has heard vocalizations in that area while deer hunting that he could not explain in any other way. I can also speak about moose and moose hunting in Idaho. Deer and elk tags can be purchased annually, but moose is a once-in-a-lifetime tag. The tags are issued out in an annual lottery, and it can take many tries to draw one. I've harvested my bull moose and helped my partner harvest his. I can tell you that although we have the smallest variety of moose, Shearus moose, they are still huge creatures. Picture a horse laying on the ground, and that is what it is like to, to process these massive creatures. Exhausting work, even for a couple of guys with good equipments. Hmm. It's very it, cool, Bill. Yeah, and again, that's coming right from somebody who knows. You know. Yeah, I mean, we asked folks to write in, and uh, Daryl did. And by the way, Daryl answers it, uh, ends it by saying, "As always, I enjoy the show and look forward to it. I'm writing this for your information." And I don't expect it to be read on air. And he says, God bless Daryl. But Daryl, it's on air. It's great information. And uh, we love it when our listeners write in in response to episodes that we cover. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's just awesome stuff. Uh, You know, see, here again you have an insider's look at something we're talking about. Knows the area, the type of moose that's there, what it takes to butcher uh, a creature, the size of the creature. And in that story, uh, Kev, my recollection is that these guys had seen, they were hunting down their moose and caught the Bigfoot. That was when the Bigfoot was kneeling down next to it with his hands on it, right? Yes. And then it just stood up and grabbed it by one of the antlers and dragged it out of view. Yeah, I mean that is just incredible. In very mean, thick brush, very thick brush. I mean, I would imagine you know you'd have to r- drag it by the antlers with a rope around it with your jeep. I, you know, I can't, I can't imagine, Bill. These things are like two thousand pounds, right? It, it's just incredible, big. incredible, like incredible. a horse, like he said. Incredible, incredible. All right, Bill. Well, great episode. Thank you, folks, for listening. Thanks for being patient with my vacation in the woods. I'm going to cover, as I mentioned in an upcoming episode, the fantastic cryptid museum that I saw up in Maine that Eric, uh, one of our listeners in Maine, put me on to. Fantastic. One of the best museums I've been to. Um, Definitely the best cryptid museum I've ever been to. And um, we'll cover that coming up here in a future episode. And thank you so much for all those five-star reviews. They're critical for us getting more listeners. So if you haven't left one in a while or if you haven't left one ever, go to your favorite podcast player, whether it's Apple Podcast Player or Stitcher or whatever, and leave us a five-star review. Awesome stuff, Kev. Awesome stuff. And remember, folks, if you should find yourself walking around in the woods in Whitehall, New York, or anywhere else for that matter. You better remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.